From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Football hits the bye week with the number three being incredibly prominent. The Gators have three wins, three losses, and their three-game homestand came to a close with back-to-back losses by a total of three points. Up next is a trip to Jacksonville to take on the third-ranked Bulldogs, but we aren't quite ready to go there just yet. On today's show, we'll put basketball into the spotlight by chatting with Coach Mike White and FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry. Also, we'll venture back to football to give you the unlikely story of how redshirt sophomore T.J. McCoy became the starting center for the Gators. But first, Florida basketball came back with a vengeance last season, from pummeling Kentucky on national television to the Chris Gioza buzzer beater in the Sweet 16. But with great success come great expectations, and that's what Mike White is trying to manage as he prepares for his third season at the helm. We began our chat with Coach White by finding out the impact that the Elite Eight run has had on the program. In the limited amount of time that's transpired since recruiting has probably picked up a little bit, another lasting impact is simply level of of player confidence and and buy-in. I think that our our culture has continued to to be enhanced. And and ultimately, I guess, circling back to recruiting, I think that uh, whether you hit or miss on a a particular student athlete in, in recruiting, I think overall... Obviously, the more success you have, the more excitement that uh, that it builds with each recruitment. Given the expectations now after what you guys accomplished, can you just talk about the pros and the cons of having these kinds of high expectations from an outsider perspective? I think that it's one thing to have experience. We mentioned this earlier, but it's another thing to have winning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, our guys are familiar with uh, with what it took last year. And how hard that they worked, uh, at least our returners. I think some of the negatives that, that come to mind are the external pressure that comes from uh, expectation. If, if you're focused on that, uh, which we're doing our best uh, not to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, probably the, the resting uh, on your laurels piece, where if we don't continuously remind ourselves of how hard it was, how much we uh, overcame last year, how strenuous the grind it was. I think you can fall into a, a pitfall of thinking maybe it was easier uh, than it actually was. And then, you know, there's always a, a piece too on the negative side of, of being comfortable, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, feeling a little bit better about ourselves uh, than we should. You know, I think it's, I think it's easier to be really hungry when you haven't experienced success. And these guys have experienced it. Uh, not the ultimate success, of course, but a, a pretty good amount of it. And um, we need to find ways to make sure that uh, we remain as, as hungry right now as we were this time last year. You know, college basketball has been in the news a lot lately for some of the wrong reasons. I'm curious how tough it's been for you to see what's happened in the sport. And what do you do to make sure that something like that doesn't get into your program? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been a, a, a tough time, you know, for uh, – the game overall for uh, a lot of coaches, programs, fan bases, families, student athletes, I mean, you name it. 
Um, I mean, all, all we can do is continue doing what we've been doing and, and focus on our program uh, to the best of our ability, get better every day. I think it starts with who you hire and uh, creating that compliant environment, uh, having constant communication with your compliance department, continuously educating your staff, challenging your staff, being clear about the level of accountability that uh, there's going to be within your program. I mean, my three assistants know that if they intentionally break a rule, that they'll be fired. And, uh, and I trust those guys, I, I guess at the end of the day, can you know everything going on? I'm not sure that that's perfectly realistic, but you better have a you know, pretty darn good idea. And, uh, all we can do is our, is our best to make sure that, that we can ensure that. Getting back to this team and, and your preparation at this moment, we talked to Chris Harry also for the podcast. He said on day two of practice that you began installing a new offense what will that ultimately look like, and what are the challenges in trying to implement that? It'll it'll be uh, a little bit more ball movement, a little bit less uh, dribbling, um, more screens off of the ball, a little bit more diverse, a little bit more free flowing. Our guys have embraced it, and uh, they're they're having some fun with it. It's a work in progress. Uh, the, the challenges are that it's going to take a little bit of time. It's different. It, it's something new, to, really, to all of them. Uh, not only our our freshmen, but um, but our veterans. And so, you know, some might might consider it a little bit risky because what we did last year offensively worked uh, to a certain extent. But we just we thought this would fit our personnel a little bit better, um, may give opponents a few more things to prepare for. And we're just seeing where it goes. You know, we're I guess we're open to uh, year in and year out, finding out what's best for your particular team. But there, you know, there's a learning curve going back to the the problems that could occur, as you as you originally asked. I mean, the the terminology is different, the uh, the timing's different, the options are different. Uh, you know, and then uh, I guess with with us being a little bit banged up too, another factor is uh, Johnny Bunu and Gorjak Gak. Really, they're not getting reps right now. Isaiah Stokes is not getting reps, so um, when they come back, they'll they'll even be a little bit further behind. So we'll have to be creative um, to try to implement as much as we can into their rehab until they're uh, medically cleared uh, some of these offensive concepts. You were such a, an elite defensive team last year. I know that's something you're continuing to work on. What are some of the most important areas you're looking to address defensively? It probably starts with uh, with just physical and, and mental toughness. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but that's, that's where we're at right now. We're, we're behind defensively. We're behind our offense. Uh, and we're certainly behind last year's group at this time defensively. You know, people uh, with, with this exterior expectation, which we're not overly concerned with, as we talked about earlier, um, but I, I think people can can confuse how much we actually lost, and particularly defensively. I mean, Casey Hill became an all-league defender and an all-league player as a senior, as quick and fast as anybody in our league. Mm -hmm. Justin Leon was as consistent a, a kid, as tough a kid as there probably was in the SEC. Johnny Bunu is one of the most talented defenders, not only in our league, but in college basketball. And he's out till January. So um, th those are just three guys that come to mind. I mean, uh, Canyon Berry became a much improved defender throughout last season. So we've got some defensive pieces we've got to replace certainly led by our, our veteran backcourt, Chris Jones and Kayvon Allen, who are very good defenders. We've got to have other guys step up. We've got to somehow simulate the level of, of toughness. I mean, we've got to at least be in the neighborhood, and we're not right now. We're not overly soft, but I, I wouldn't call us tough like last year's group. 
um, and, and we're striving toward that uh, daily. But the, the concepts, the, the schemes, it'll all be it'll all be the same as last year. In terms of your returners, which individuals do you feel like you've seen the most improvement from year over year? Probably the two guys that I mentioned. Kavaris Hayes has steadily improved since he's been here. Keystone has made a big jump, and he'll get a lot more opportunity this year than last year, you know, with the graduation of, of Canyon and um, Justin Leon and, and the loss of Devin Robinson, uh, who I actually forgot in that defensive uh, mm-hmm. little talk that we had a minute ago. <laughs> uh, Devin ended up being a heck of a defender force, uh, especially late in the year uh, going into the NCAA tournament. I mean, he was he was flying around and making big plays. But, you know, I, I, those guys, they've all improved. They, they've all uh, gotten better with regard to their attention to detail and, and what's being asked of them in terms of, of carrying out schemes offensively and defensively. And they've gotten better just individually. They've gotten bigger and stronger and, and they've grown as people. Um, they've matured. And you certainly hope that every player that comes through your program uh, does the same thing. In terms of the newcomers, I know there's a lot of excitement about some of the guys we're going to see this year. Can you talk about which ones you think will make the biggest impact that fans should look out for? I think, you know, I, Dante Bassett with Gorjak and and Isaiah Stokes and, and Johnny Buno, obviously, all being out. And, and Gorjak hopefully comes back here soon. He's gotten a lot more reps than he probably would have anticipated and certainly than, than we would have anticipated as a staff. So uh, right now at the five, it's it's him and Kavarius. We're very, very thin up front. So he's going to get opportunity. Uh, and the other three freshmen, the true freshmen, Dante being a redshirt, of course, they're all going to get opportunity as well. They, they've got some stuff that they've impressed us with in terms of how hard they play and uh, trying to do what we're asking of them. Uh, Michael Carr, who's doing his best to keep up with Chris Chiels, which is easier said than done, of course. <laughs> and Chase Johnson's battling every day in that front court, providing some toughness and some activity. Uh, and then DeAndre Ballard is a uh, he's a very gifted scorer. He's probably uh, got a little bit more competition than the other guys with Jalen Hudson, Kayvon Allen, and, and uh, Igor Kulichov. Uh, kind of a log jam there, but it, that's a good problem to have. We've got, we've got really good depth on the wing. Um, but all those guys will, will get opportunity this year. We've already heard a lot about the, the legend of Igor building. Some have even called him the Rowdies are calling him Three Gore. Uh, how big can he be for this team, especially offensively? Mm-hmm. Well, we've we've changed his name, and the Rowdies can keep going with three gore. And I love the Rowdies, of course. <laughs> but because we're trying to be again just in the neighborhood defensively as last year's group, and if we did, we'd be a pretty good team. So um, we we just started by simply changing three gore to D gore. So <laughs> he's now a defensive specialist. He's got to be for us, as all thirteen of our guys need to be. He's a good player. I mean, experienced and, and tough, and he's a guy that's, that's been around the block, scored a lot of points, got a lot of rebounds, and, and he's he's won a bunch of games. So I'm uh, excited to have him. Coach, final thing for you. You said last time we talked back in April that you were a, quote, very boring guy, but you must have done something interesting you can tell us about over the summer with your family or, or something since that mm-hmm. time. No, I mean, they'll even tell you I'm, <laughs> I'm as boring as they get. Other than, uh, than Disney movies with those guys, <laughs> Uh, a lot of film this summer, trying to learn and surfing. You know, we, okay, we, we do a lot of surfing as a family um, on the East Coast. My kids have gotten into it. And, uh, I love the paddleboard surf. It's a quick vacation and where you can really get away from it, get out in the water and enjoy Florida, get some sun. And it's a family activity that we've all kind of rallied around. We love it. Well, I'm glad you got a little bit of time away, but now it's, uh, it's back on the grind. So I wish you a lot of luck with the start of the year. And, and thank you as always for joining us. Thanks so much. 
some athletes have their pick of the litter when it comes to the recruiting process, with every door imaginable opening on command. But many have a tougher path to achieve their goals, which is an appropriate way to describe TJ McCoy's road to becoming a Gator. Before delving into the details of that story, we asked the Florida Center what the mood in the locker room has been like following a pair of tight losses in the swamp. Overall vibe in the locker room right now is just that we got to get better. And um, the one thing that the coach has been telling us is that, you know, like we got to execute, execute at tough times. You know, we get, in the, you know, all these games have been lost during the fourth quarter and you know, that just comes in with finishing and everything we do. You know, at the end of every practice, Coach Mack has a team move the field period that's in the fourth quarter. And it's just looking at things like that. You know, did I go hard enough in mm-hmm. the in the in the last in the last quarter of practice? Did I do that execute well? Did I make the right calls? You know, things of that nature. Did I, you know, as a DB, did I know what the, um know what covers you're running? You know, it's just certain mm-hmm. things that we got to execute better. You know, it's it's nothing about talent. It's nothing about you know, do we want to win and are we um, playing hard and stuff like that? It's just executing. It's just executing things. And also it's just being a team and giving of yourself for the benefit of others. So we're fired up. We're This team is by no means, you know, down or depressed or we're not giving up on the season at all. We're fighting to the very end. That's what we do as Florida Gators. We fight. So I'm excited about this bye week, you know, the opportunities we get to correct some mistakes and just opportunity to get our bodies back and also – just to become closer as a team and just look in the mirror and see, is there something that even me, is there something that I could have did better in these games that we lost? So tell us about the bye week. What is that like? How does it differ from a normal game week? I feel like um, the bye week, like this week, like yesterday, um, came in, we lifted, um, we had a practice. It wasn't a long practice, like an hour practice. And we didn't do like a lot of hitting periods, you know, so the bye week, it's just us getting mental reps and working on our technique and also getting our bodies back, you know, because we got mm-hmm. some guys that are banged up a little bit. And we're just using this week to get those guys back, get our team healthy, and also to um, just um, come together as a team. Despite the losses, the offensive line has been really effective at opening up the ground game. That's gotten better and better. What do you think the keys have been to that success on the ground? I mean, we've just been working our butts off ever since the first loss against Michigan, you know. Um, I give a lot of credit to them and their football team because they really opened up our eyes and showed us how we can get better in some areas. And, you know, one thing that, you know, we take pride in is we want to run the football. We want to wear opponents out, you know, just being physical up front. And we have, you know, a whole bunch of great running backs back there with uh, Malik Davis, LaMichael Piron, and Mark Thompson. So we just got a lot of good running backs. And our attitude as an O-line is, you know, being physical to point of attack, you know, dominating the, the defense we're going against and, you know, just wearing them down. And, you know, that opens up things for the passing game. And I just feel like that's something that's been really opening up for us. And I really believe that it's part of our offense, the identity of our offense, that we're a tough football team and we like to run the football and hit you in the mouth. Brad Davis took over as your position coach this season. I'm curious what the biggest differences are you've seen between him and Coach Summers. The difference between them is just that, you know, Coach Davis brings that attitude. Like, you know, he played um, college football at Oklahoma. You know, he knows what it's like to win a national championship as an offensive lineman. And it kind of, he kind of brings that feel to like, look, man, I know exactly what you're going through. I went through the same thing you're going through. Mm-hmm. And also he brings a swagger attitude. Like, you know, he always tells us like in the game, 
I'm going to have as much fun as you're going to have today. And he's a coach. You know, you're thinking the coach is like just trying to tell us what to do and, you know, not really having fun, but just being zoned in the focus of the game. He's focused, but he's out there having fun with us. Every time we, you know, get a big block, a big hit, you know, he's the first one to say good job and hype us up. You know, it's exciting for him. And it's it's exciting for the office line. And it makes practice fun. It makes working fun, you know, because mm-hmm. you you know somebody who actually endured what, you, um, what you're going through right now. And that makes you want to even work harder because, you know, he's been through it. And he's just trying to get you to where you want to be. If we can take things back for you a little bit, can you tell us about your family and where you grew up? Uh, I grew up in a town called Claremont, Florida. Um, I was born in Indianapolis, my dad played eight years for the Colts, two years for the Cardinals in the NFL as a defensive tackle. But I was born in Indianapolis, and when he was done playing football, we moved to this town, a little town in Central Florida called Claremont, about 20 minutes from Orlando. And I went to South Lake High School. I played three different positions there. Hmm. I played um, tackle guard in center I, I actually played center my senior year of high school I didn't start playing until my senior year and the rest is history you know I I went through a lot of trials in high school not you know being probably one of the shorter guys as a recruit and you know I didn't get a lot of offers but the offers I did get were good division one offers and you know I always wanted to come to Florida that's somewhere I always wanted to be but you know just at the coaches at that time they just you know, they just really didn't want me to coach much champ staff. But um, when Coach Mack came here and um, my dad was going through some health issues and I had went to NC State at the time, or early early NC State, and I came home in the summer, my dad actually had leukemia. And, you know, he was going through some tough things and he said that he wasn't going to be able to make it to any of my games. And I was like, look, man, like, you know, I love football, but I love my family more. Mm-hmm. And I was just willing to even not play football again just to be closer to my dad and closer to my family just so I could be home to help take care of him. And, you know, when I came home, you know, Coach Matt had gave me a call and said, hey, man, like, if you still want to play college football and if you still want to be a Gator, we want you. So that summer when I came back, I enrolled in Florida, worked hard, you know, my first year, red-shirted. Second year, didn't play a lot um, until South Carolina game. A couple of people got hurt. And, you know, I just took my opportunities as they came and been working really hard. I'm still working hard every day to prove people wrong and to prove um, people that um, I can play in the SEC and that um, I'm a great player in the SEC, that I'm a great leader. And I just love football and I love the Florida Gator organization. It's something that I will always be a part of, you know, for the rest of my life and something that I enjoy. I think you just answered my next 10 questions. Uh, (laughs) uh, Speaking of your dad and the fact that he was a Gator, how closely did you follow Florida growing up and how much did you want to follow in his footsteps? I followed them very close. I remember my first game ever I came here was uh, 2006. Chris Leak was playing Hmm. and... It was just cool, man. Like, you know, you grow up, you see a lot of pictures. You know, your dad takes you here. And, you know, people talk about him and say, man, your dad was a great player, you know. And, you know, he did a lot when he was here. You know, he they he actually won the first SC championship here in 91. And um, it's just great to hear that stuff growing up. And it made me follow the team, you know, mm-hmm. all throughout high school. And, you know, it kind of broke my heart a little bit, you know, when I realized I didn't get an offer from here and sure. coming out of high school, you know, because I always, I, in my mind, I always was going to be a Gator, in my opinion, because, you know, my dad played here. I thought I was good enough to play Division One football in the SEC. And, you know, when I was coming out of high school, I just wasn't, 
you know, reality. I took the best offer that I had, which is NC State. And, you know, Coach Dorian was a great man, and he helped me out with a lot of stuff. And he actually – it was actually funny when I had – got an offer from him. I came to a camp. You know, a lot of these people who um, get offers from college, they don't go to camps. But I'm going to my senior year of high school. I went to a whole bunch of camps. So I was like, I didn't have no offers, man. I'm like, look, man, like, I'm trying to go to college. <laughs> like, I'm trying to – I just need a scholarship or something. So I go to these camps, and I do good. And I'm like, um, you know, I had an offer from Rutgers. I had an offer from North Carolina State, USF, and some other schools um, in the ACC and um, the um, American Conference. And um, I went to those camps, and I actually um, dominated at his camp and did really well. And he said, you know what, man, I'm going to give you an offer today. And, mm. you know, that was one of my offers I had got from going to a camp. So um, I actually came to this camp, did really well at the Florida Gator camp. But, you know, I just didn't meet their criteria or what an office right. alignment was. So I'm glad I'm here now, and I'm glad I'm making an impact. And, you know, what I want to do here is win an SEC championship and a national championship if God allows it. So that's my whole goal. So before you got to Florida, when you were at NC State, I'm, I'm trying to, to put together the timeline here. So when did you find out that he was really sick and that you needed to, to be closer to him? Well, my dad had leukemia all throughout my high school career. Um, in the ninth grade, he had got leukemia. I remember um, I was playing JV at the time and he um told me it was like a it was like a big game. It was like after we had won a game. I had did so well and it was a great game and he had told me the next day that um he had um cancer, he had leukemia and it was just, you know, it was heartbreaking, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was just dealing with that through all my high school years and you know, he still made it out to my games to come watch me play, um, and do those things for me. And um, you know, when I had got to senior high school they had said it was um everything was getting better, everything was cooling down. So I had earlier enrolled at um NC State. And I'm thinking everything's cool. You know, that's what my mom was telling me, everything was good and you know, he's feeling better, things like that. And, you know, I went to NC State for, for six months and I came home in the summer and you know, I just came home, he was just throwing up a lot. I was like, Mom, like, what's wrong with dad? And, you know, she just started crying and stuff and, you know, she said she didn't want me to find out. And, like, you know, she just kind of told me, like, hey, like, your dad can't really travel a lot right now. Like, he's he's not feeling better. And, you know, that's kind of how it all went down. And I just made a decision right there. Like, look, man, like, um, you know, I'm just, you know, drop out of college and try to go to community college or something, get my degree and just help take care of my family. What was the pushback like from your family? Because I know that initially they wanted you to maybe think about it more and they didn't want you changing your whole path just because of them. So what was that like as you felt strongly about getting back home, but but they wanted you to keep pursuing your, your dreams? Um, something that I always pride myself in is just like being with my family and taking care of my family. And like, you know, it was tough because like, you know, I know my dad and dad didn't feel very good about it because, you know, he had played college football in college he knew how much I loved football and how much I wanted to um, excel and do well and that's something that he was telling me but you know the one thing I always realized is that like you know what um, football is big but it's not bigger than family mm-hmm. and you know at that moment you know I rather football is nothing without my family like you know without having a support of your family there having them cheer you on I just don't think I personally could have did as well as I'm doing now without their support without them pushing me and encouraging me and always being there for me to do well so I just thought hey 
Like I love football, but you know, if I'm really gonna play football, I wanna be I want my heart to be all in it. Mm. And, you know, I just at that time my heart wasn't all in it. You know, my heart was somewhere else. So when you got to Florida and that worked out for you, you were third on the depth chart. And then suddenly you're thrust into a starting role because of multiple injuries. What was it like suddenly being in that position and, and how did you work through that? You know, I always had confidence in myself ever since I got here. Like I always I know when I got here, like a lot of people from back home were like, man, like you're playing at Florida. It's probably going to be hard for you to play there. You know, they got a whole bunch of five star recruits, big time mm-hmm. recruits there, you know. But I just always had the attitude, like, look, man, like, I feel like I'm the best. And I feel like, you know, I work hard enough and I prepare hard enough. You know, I'm going to get a shot. And I don't know when it's going to be, but I know when that time's come, I'm be ready. That's something that my dad's always talked to me about is being ready from when, um, when opportunity comes. And throughout that whole year when I wasn't playing and, you know, just traveling and just seeing other people play and, you know, see wins and stuff like that. I always prepared like I was going to play every week in practice. You know, I watched film, things like that, worked on certain things, even called home, say, hey, dad, like, what do you think about this guy? How do you think this guy plays Mm -hmm. and things of that nature? Like, I always prepared like that. And, you know, when my opportunity came, you know, I did well. And, you know, each and every day I fought to keep it. I'm still fighting to keep it. So, you know, that's just my attitude every time I go to practice and every time I play a game, I'm fighting to keep honestly what God's given me. You know, I don't know many people in the SEC who are six one and who are starting for <laughs> who's starting for a football team right now. So anybody who's out there who's probably like on the shorter side who wants to play division one football, they can look at me and say, No, if he can do it, why can't I? Mm-hmm. So that's what I want my story to be for people who uh, want to play football and you know, they might not have the weight or they might not have the height to do it. So what would you say the key for you is then? Is it just work ethic? I mean, what else have you actually done to try and overcome being an undersized guy in the SEC? In my opinion, I would say it's just work ethic. You know, I always keep God first, you know, praying a lot. One thing that um my dad always prided me into doing is the little things, right? You know, being on time. You know, not being a guy the coaches are always after, you know, with with your grades or eliminating, like, you know, I already got a fat that I'm already short. Like, why would I want to give them more <laughs> stuff? Why would I want to give them more of a reason why I sure. can't do it? You know what I mean? Sure. So there's a lot of other factors that play into it. But if I would say, like, as a player, I would say that my strengths would be, you know, my leverage, you know, I can get under, you know, deepest alignment real, um, real well because of my height. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I have a good pop coming off the ball. I feel like I can move anybody. Uh, I feel like I have long arms for a short person. But, um, you know, I feel like my arms are very long. And, you know, I just have a good instinct about the game. Like, I, I study a lot. You know, I feel like I know how my how the guy I'm playing against is playing. You know, whether he's a, a quick guy or just a big stout guy who likes to just bull rush you or mm-hmm. hold the point of attack and shed the tackle. You know, I feel like I'm good at studying people and looking how they play. And, you know, that's how I see what my strengths were. And those are stuff that I want to keep capitalizing on. And there's a lot of things I can get better at, and that's the whole point of practice. And that's why we have coaches, so they can point out the stuff you need to get better at. I'm sure your dad's a big part of your football development, but as far as teammates go, which teammates do you feel like have had the biggest impact on you at this point in your career? I would say, you know, some of the older guys who, who left. You know, when I first got here, you know, I'm just a, just a freshman, man. You know, I remember our first pad at practice ever. And – 
you know, I come in and practice and, you know, Keanu Neal, safety for the Atlanta Falcons, mm-hmm. he's a hard hitter. And I remember um, going out on the screen, I just like, you know, I just try to go lay him out and I hit him as hard as I could. And, you know, anytime I had to block him or somebody like Antonio Morrison, you know, guys like that, Jared Davis, mm-hmm. you know, anytime I had to block those guys, you know, I felt like I practiced to earn their respect. You know, I want them to think that I'm a good player. And, you know, I remember the first time I came here on um, that padded practice, you know, Keanu Neal had said, man, you're a good player. Like, you're going to be really good here. And I talked about you um, in the media today, and I said that you did really good at practice today. Just a lot of older guys, you know, like that, who are great players in the NFL right now that are kind of like making their own path. You know, I feel like they made me a lot better when I was here. You know, always challenging me. You know, I remember I was playing a scout team on Antonio Morrison my freshman year. And he just said, man, hit me as hard as you can. I remember every day you challenged me just to get better and better. And he just said, look, man, like, I know you're not playing now, but I need you to, like, give me good work. I need you to go hard. Mm -hmm. And, like, him, you know, encouraging me to do better and go hard, you know, made me a better player. You know, going against guys like Caleb Brantley, teammates that are in the NFL now that had great work ethic, and that saw me and that said, no, man, like, you're going to be a good player. Just keep working and, you know, going against them because they're talented guys. And, you know, I, I would say that they played a big role in where I am today. Football is clearly a very big part of your life. But when you do have time away from the game, what are some things that, that you enjoy doing? Some things I really enjoy doing is, man, is I enjoy fishing. I enjoy going to church with my family. I like to take my girlfriend out to a movie or so. I'm not really like a, a, a person that likes to go out a lot. So I do like a lot of stuff that's, you know, family based, fun stuff. Like, you know, I know it sounds kind of lame, but I like going bowling. I like. <laughs> Don't yeah. be ashamed of bowling. It's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Playing pool table with my yeah. family and stuff, you know. I just like doing a lot of fun stuff. Like, you know, I'm not a big roller coaster guy, but I will go to Universal. Okay. Go to Universal sometimes and just check out some things, you know, basic stuff, I guess. <laughs> You said you like to go out to movies sometimes with your girlfriend. Best movie that you've seen in the last six months with her? That's a hard one because I just saw one. I just saw one this past weekend. I just saw that It movie. It was pretty good. I say It. I thought that was a pretty good movie. A lot of people saw that, so you're probably in uh, you're in safe yeah. company there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if we can circle back to your to your family as we wrap things up, how is your dad doing today, and, and how involved is he able to be in your football career? He's doing very well today, you know. He's still going back for the Shans for checkups. And um, I would say he's doing way better than um, what he was doing before. You know, he's doing a lot now. He's actually a pastor at our church. Um, he's been a pastor there for 12-plus years. We actually started it when I was in the second grade, so he's pastoring again. You know, he comes to all my, my all my home games, and every Sunday, you know, he comes down and watches film with me watches over the game and tells me what I need to do better on. And we watch the next week's opponent and he kind of tells me what I need to do against them to, you know, be successful against the guys that we're playing. And so I would say our relationship is good now and he's able to come to my football games and able to support me. And it's really good. It's something that I always dreamed about happening, having him be able to watch me, you know, do well, have, help him watch me succeed and kind of following his footsteps. And, you know, all I want to do is make him proud and make my family proud and uh, make God proud.
Well, TJ, I know you have to get to class, so we have one final thing for you. Georgia is up next after the bye week. What's driving this team through these tough times with such a big challenge coming up on the horizon? I mean, what's driving this team right now is that, um, you know, the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that we're the defending SEC East champs. And, you know, we've done that for the last two years. So that's one thing Coach Max has been telling us is that you guys are defending the SEC East champs for the past two years. You guys need to have confidence. You guys lost two games, you know, by points, by a couple of points. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this team, even though this team is lost, we're still confident. We're still confident in our, our, our ability to win and play football. And, you know, this is going to be a great battle between two great SEC teams. And, you know, hats off to Georgia. They, they've been having a great season. and They're doing well this year. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put our best foot forward. And they're going to put their best foot forward. And like Chris Berman always says, that's why we play the game. <laughs> and we're going to see who's going to win next week in Jacksonville. Well, TJ, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us, and uh, good luck to you the rest of the way. Yes, sir. God bless. Thank you. With the number of close games the Gators have played, their 3-3 and record at the bye week could just as easily be 5-1 and or even 1-5. and But you are what your record says you are, so the Gators are looking for answers as they forge ahead with the second half of their season. While Scott Carter was under the weather this week and unable to join us, we discussed the Gators' latest outing with Chris Harry, and he began by highlighting the impressive effort from Florida's defense. The defense, Texas A&M's a pretty damn good team. They have some weapons on offense. They have a, a dual-threat quarterback who's dangerous. Um, they really held the guy in check for three-quarters of the game. I think A&M, in fact, uh, at halftime had 80 yards of offense. Florida, at that point, had run 41 plays to, I believe, 26 for A&M, which is exactly the opposite of what was going on the week before in the LSU game. Remember, mm-hmm. we talked about tempo, sure. staying on the field longer, that kind of thing. And Florida was doing what it had to do. But it, eventually, you do got to get some explosive plays in the passing game. I mean, certainly saw Felipe Franks was as explosive a play as you'll see. But he's had an Super explosive with his arm against Tennessee and now the super explosive with his legs in that game the other night. But my goodness, uh, you're not going to win a, a lot of games, okay, when you're passing for 129 yards. Uh, I believe the week four is 108 yards. Florida is now, I believe, second to last in the SEC in passing the ball. A&M, Kellen Mond, the quarterback, was pretty much held in check. I think he ended up with 180 yards passing. He had three plays of over 30 yards. Uh, Florida's longest pass play was 18 yards. So obviously you're hamstrung. Uh, Tyree Cleveland's not out there. Uh, Kadarius Tony's not out there. Mm-hmm. Obviously Antonio Callaway hadn't been out there the whole year. So there, there's some issues. In fact, I saw a statistic via Twitter. And of course, if it's on social media, it has to be true, right? You no, know it's real. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, 22% of Florida's roster. Mm. Okay. Scholarship roster is either suspended or injured going into that game. So uh, there are some built-in variables that are holding this team back from being the best it can be. But at the same time, in the fourth quarter, uh, you get one first down on three possessions. You have a second and two and a third and one in a great chance to run out the clock at home to win the game when you're up 17-16. Can't do it. You punt the ball away. They return it 43 yards uh, to set themselves up for the game-winning field goal. So a lot of things really conspired against Florida, and they didn't help themselves coming down the stretch. So you go into the bye week, you have some evaluation to do relative to this passing game, relative to what Felipe Franks is doing. I mean, I was watching one play, and I believe it was in the, I believe it was in the third quarter of the game, and everyone in the swamp saw Brandon Powell broke free mm-hmm. on a play running up the right sideline, and 
Felipe is actually looking to the right and ends up going to a check down on like about a five-yard route when Brandon Powell was uh, – he's a good 30, 35, 40 yards downfield, waving his arms, nobody covered him. So there's some things with Felipe Frank that, that he still needs to develop and, and awareness, uh, seeing the field, going through his progressions. All that are things that the Gators will certainly work on in the bye week, but they got to get better fast because they're about to play Georgia, which looks like a juggernaut right now, I believe, checking in at uh, third in the country. When it's challenging, too, and you're know, talking about Franks in particular, because some of the things that, that we're looking at, I mean, isn't a lot of that just time? You, you can't accelerate time and can only mature as quickly as he's going to with the reps he gets. So, you know, I guess the question for Jim McElwain would be, how do you work within the constraints of what a freshman quarterback can give you six games into his career? I would give that a little bit, uh, but I, I can also flip that around and say Kellen Mond's a freshman. Sure. Um, so uh, again, it's a different systems and what have you, and they're asking him to do some different things, you know, being back there in a quote unquote pro style attack, but yeah, you cannot accelerate time. That's a good point. And uh, uh, this is becoming now a developmental season, but uh, fans don't necessarily want to hear that the team had won three straight games. The team was starting to show a little bit of life. I, I do think the, the loss of Luke Del Rio was a tough one. Cause I thought, he was probably the right quarterback for this team at this time. That's not to say Felipe Franks can't be a solid quarterback because he's certainly putting in the work. He certainly has the physical tools. There's just some things he has to figure out about playing the position. And that's, you know, the coaching staff is going to have to, I'm sorry, going to have to accelerate time a little bit because, you know, we're halfway through the season and there's some big games coming up. Florida's got to play Georgia. They got to go to Missouri, which has only won one game, but they can score a lot of points at them. Yeah, and you don't know what the weather's going to be. You don't know what the weather's going to be up there either. Mm-hmm. So it may not be a favorable game to go up there. And, and, you know, Gators aren't used to being in the cold or what have you. And then, of course, you got South Carolina, which is going to be a very edgy game, going to probably be a little bit of a chippy game going up there. And then you, you got a UAB and you got Florida State to finish the season with. So get as good as you can. And in that time you have, I know a lot, there, I know there's some people because. I listen to talk radio and I'm zipping around here. There's people wondering if this is where we're going to see Malik Zaire. Open date, offense struggles overall. Uh, the running game had 242 yards the other day. The, the running wow. game, I believe, is average 190 yards a game since that uh, Michigan debacle, if you will, to open the season. So there's productivity. I mean, what does a quarterback need to really succeed? A great running game. Right. That, that goes right into his wheelhouse now. So the next step is missing. With that kind of productivity in the running game, there ought to be something going on in the, in the play-action pass department. And, you know, the Gators got to get there. I guess the, the million-dollar question right now, which is tough to answer, is if you're Jim McElwain and, and his staff, what are you doing during this bye week to try and turn things around with such a big game looming? I mean, what would you be focused on right now if you were Jim McElwain? Well, right now, this week, uh, because they can only operate a, a, on a certain days because they do got to give these guys some time off, is, uh, they are out recruiting. So um, they're out there trying to get some players, and they certainly will need some going into next season. But in terms of what are you going to do this week to get ready for Georgia, and I think it has to go back to passing game. It has to go back to hopefully getting some guys healthy. It'd be nice to have Tyree Cleveland back, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to have Kadarius sure. Tony back. Uh, so get some playmakers back. Those are your key uh, bullet points for – for this week, and hopefully you go up to Jacksonville with a with a little more ammunition to work with. You know, believe it or not, basketball is just a few weeks away. So as we work through a football bye week, we start looking at what else is going on around Gator Nation. And certainly, Mike White's team comes top of mind. Uh, now that practice is underway, Chris, what are we seeing in practice so far that stands out? Practice started on October fifth, and I think on October sixth, Mike White started to um, 
he started to put in a new offense for this team. And it's something that he hopes will take better advantage of their uh, strength around the perimeter with those with the scoring potential you have out there with Kayvon Allen and you have with Jalen Hudson, the transfer from Virginia Tech, uh, the shooting of uh, Igor Kolachov and just the free will and way that Chris Chioza can see the court. Keith Stone is a guy who's really uh, having a nice preseason. Mm. He's back to being that shooting uh, kind of stretch four that they really need. So so the Gators are going to have offensive weapons. There's no question about that. But as much as they're in tune with trying to roll this new offense in, it's, uh, this is going to be about defense. And I think the last time we talked about basketball, I probably brought that up. Mike White said they're only going to be as good as their defense is going to be. They're nowhere near as good as it was last year. They were a team last year that I believe were in the top eight in the country in defensive efficiency. Uh, this year, they may be a team that ends up in the top 10, top 20 in offensive efficiency, but mm. their defense is well behind last year's. One of the things they do got to get, uh, they got to get healthier. Obviously, we're not going to see Johnny Bruno probably until January. Gorjak Gak missed uh, the first week of practice or so. Um, he's the backup center behind Kavarius Hayes. He was dealing with a little bit of a little bit of a knee issue coming off the World University Games. Isaiah Stokes, a freshman from down in Bradenton IMG Academy. He hasn't even practiced yet, and uh, I'm, I'm starting to think, and the coaches have certainly have been thinking about this for a while, that he may not play this year at all. So they're going to be a perimeter-heavy team. There's a redshirt freshman by the name of Dante Bassett who's getting a lot of reps at the five position. Um, so they're figuring some things out relative to what they're going to play on the post, but um, they're pretty stocked along the perimeter. And, and Kayvon Allen, he's having just a phenomenal uh, uh, preseason so far. I just think he, he's going to have a really – Really, really big season this year. With Florida being such an offensively potent team, I guess the question that I would think is, how are they doing that without Canyon Berry, without Justin Leon? I mean, they lost a lot in terms of scoring ability, especially guys who can hit from long range. So how have they replaced that and then some to be the team that you're talking about right now? Yeah, and you didn't mention Devin Robinson. Who Sorry, I forgot about Devin Robinson. Yeah, yeah, a 39% three-point shooter. He's, he's on the Washington Wizards roster as one of their uh, – one of their G League up and downers, but uh, they did lose some stuff. But uh, at the same time, you think about it, Chris Chioza is replacing Casey Hill. Who do you like better? Well, for offense, you'd say probably Chris Chioza. And yet, and Chris Chioza understands that he probably isn't the defender that Casey Hill was, mm-hmm. especially on the on the ball. But he's not a bad defender by any stretch of the imagination. He just has to be better than he was last year, and he's got to do it for longer stretches of time because he's going to have to play a lot more because the Gators don't have a, an experienced true backup point guard. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, Kayvon Allen is a guy who is just going to have to be more aggressive, and I think he will be more aggressive. And I, I don't mean just taking more shots. I mean get, getting to the basket because this is a guy, I think he can get a shot anytime he wants to. And that means getting to the basket where he can draw contact. He's not he's, – he's, the coaches tease him because they say he shies away from contact because he doesn't drive it more. They're playing a little, like, uh, gamesmanship with him. <laughs> he says he's not going to have I, – I say, I say he says he's not going to have it. He just kind of – shakes his head saying it's not going to happen because he didn't talk very much. But, I mean, he's a phenomenal uh, uh, free-throw shooter, so when he does get fouled, he's going to make them. Igor Kolachov is a scorer. Again, he shot 47% uh, from three-point range at Rice. I don't think he's going to do that this year. He's not going to do that in the SEC, but uh, I think uh, the year before, I believe he was a 30, 36% three-point shooter. If he's somewhere in the middle, that'll be fine for this team. He's a really good free-throw shooter. And Jalen Hudson is a guy who's a very, 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 very gifted scorer. Reminds me a little bit of a, of a more polished Mike Rosario. Hmm. He can attack the basket. He's taller at 6'6". He's, he's a guy who's just got to get better on defense. But they just have weapons on the outside. Again, I go Keystone is a guy who can score inside and outside. I don't think they're going to suffer offensively. 
they did lose some things and Canyon Barry was their uh, second leading scorer last year, but they're rolling a, a couple guys back in there who, who are collectively pick it up. But um, the coaches admit this is a much more um, diversified and talented offensive team than they've had probably since they've been here. Making the run to the Elite Eight and accomplishing what this team did, how much confidence has that given them as a whole and, and even to the coaching staff, the entire program? I'll be honest with you. I, it was last year when I started to see a difference in the coach. And I'm talking about Mike White. His demeanor, uh, the way he talked to the players um, his first year when he was just trying to maybe figure some things out and maybe figure out, let, let's be honest, uh, just maybe some – internal kind of things of how good was he okay mm-hmm. you know because this guy he came from law tech and, and this is he was doing it himself now what he got last year was validation and it started right. early on in the season i think he got validated in a big way obviously crushing kentucky the way they did finishing second in the sec winning 14 games in the conference he figured out this you know what he may have at some point had a moment where he and I don't know this because i've never spoke to him about this but he may have said you know what i can do this yeah i'm a pretty good coach Tom Crean was at practice yesterday watching Mike White and watching how engaged he was. And he said, this guy, this guy's really, really good. And uh, there's other other guys who have come through who are starting to see this a little bit. And I just see a lot more to Mike White substance wise and his ability to deal with players, his ability to uh, deal uh, in practice, um, his engagement in practice and how he is on game day. He's always been engaged on game day, obviously, but uh, the guy knows what he's doing. Now he's just getting his guys in there. He's doing pretty damn well in the recruiting trail so far this season. So uh, I think Florida uh, is in pretty good hands basketball-wise. And we'll be talking more basketball in the weeks and months to come, no question. Let's wrap up now with our PAT, Chris. I know this is uh, – I'm probably preaching the choir here. There's not too many things that I feel confident we agree on. But I, I do feel like this one's going to be right in your wheelhouse. The major I'm, baseball, I'm already worried if we're going to agree on something. So – so the baseball playoffs have been waging on as we speak, and uh, one of the, the things that drives me craziest is the fact that for a season that is 162 games long, there is a one-game wild card playoff, and there is a five-game division series whereby a team who worked incredibly hard to get the best record and get home field has to face an up-and-coming wild card in a lot of cases in just a five-game series and the better team doesn't necessarily win. I know a lot of people would say baseball's long enough, don't make it longer. I've always felt that the wild card should be a three-game series, and the division series should be seven games, just like the LCS, just like the World Series, to make sure the best team is being rewarded. As a long-suffering Washington <laughs> Nationals fan, do you agree with this line of thinking? I don't know how long suffering I've been in existence 2005, but I was a long suffering Senators fan. As when a, I was a, little as a boy, 12 so, yeah. year suffering Washington. Uh, no, Nationals no, take fan. it back to wa- how about Washington baseball suffer long suffering, but like 20 years before you were born, I was watching bad baseball. Um, <laughs> all your points you make are a hundred percent valid, Adam. I, I, you know, for a, the, the whole wild card thing, one game. And, but at the same time, I, I don't know unless you scale back games, where are we going to be playing the world series during the NFL playoffs? If we have it your way. Um, I just don't know, unless they scale back regular season games, I don't think you should be playing baseball in November. I just don't. Um, what do you, you want to start the season early? Or anything? The, ba- the season is so long as it is. There's so many games. Teams are out of it before you know it. Sure. Um, they're out of it before the All-Star game. Um, uh, what I do think about the, the five-game series does bug me a little bit because 
you could have like a great team and all of a sudden they, they have to see a Cy Young guy, you know, twice. And maybe they bring the guy in for relief pitch. I know like for as a national guy, the Nationals lost last year to the Dodgers in five games. Clayton Kershaw pitched three games. That's that's what I'm talking about, though. That's the way the, they brought the, him in to save game five. Yeah. The inequity know, so, of it seems right, seems right. unfair. I agree with your points. I just don't think there's anything they can fix it and maintain the model of 162 regular season games. I don't know. The players union would go for that. I mean, you know, you could be playing a game in Boston, like in the second week in November. That'd be ridiculous. A baseball game. Come on. Might as well be at Cape Cod League or something up there. Sorry, sorry. Uh, so we, we start the season a week earlier. We're already playing baseball in November. So we just extend it. It would extend maybe an extra week because you're un, under my plan. You're potentially adding a total of five extra games if necessary, and you wouldn't play assuming, all of them. Assuming none of, none of the playoff games are snowed out, right? Right. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> but I, again, we are in somewhat of a agree. I, I don't necessarily think it's fair. Like the wild card system in football in the NFL, I think it's really good. Right, that's a good system. I, yeah, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a really good system where you're the, the division winners get to play the two wild card games at home, which is fair, and the other and the two division winners with the best record um, get the week off. I think I think it's great. I just don't know with all these games how you're going to change that. Unless let's go ahead and move the season up, maybe try one give year. But at the same, but but yeah, give it a shot. But at the same time, I mean, talking about two out of three, then four out of seven. So you're talking about to win a World Series, okay? A wild card team would have to win two, six, ten, fourteen games, right? Yes. A lot. It's a lot of baseball. Yeah. If you're a wild card, you got to work extra hard for it. That's the point. That's the idea. Okay, but I'm saying, but for even a even a division champion, you're talking 12 wins versus 10. So that's true. Um, longer season, but um, certainly worth talking about. Not one of your better PATs, Adam. But you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's... <laughs> they're not all going to be gems. But <laughs> listen, it's a, a passionate topic for me as a Braves fan who went through these same things that the Nationals have gone through. In the late 90s and the early 2000s, I just hate when the wild card team that's red hot goes in and steals a, a short series from a team that worked really hard during the summer to be in the position to host that with the best record. So I, well, I'm sure, I, I thought I'm sure you would relate bit, to that. I'm sure I'd be bitter about that if it ever happened to the Nationals, but I don't think it has. They lost to the Cubs. Equal, the Cubs were division champions. Last year, the Dodgers division champions. Uh, I think it was for the Giants before that division champions. Maybe the Cardinals might have come in, and I think they might. Cardinals might have beat the Braves in 2012 in that wild card game to kind of uh, finish that off. But I'm with you, but not 100 percent with you. How's that? That's about as close as I ever expect you to get. So I will certainly <laughs> take that. Uh, Chris, thank you so much again. We we were disappointed Scott couldn't join. Scott's a little under the weather, uh, but we hope Scott is back with us next week. We'll talk Florida, Georgia, and a lot more. So for now, Chris, thank you very much, and we look forward to talking to you next time. All right, Adam, thanks, man. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. We're always looking for ways to improve Gator Tales and encourage your feedback by emailing GatorsPodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at GatorsPodcast, or messaging Gator Tales Podcast on Facebook. We'll be back next Thursday to preview Florida, Georgia, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and we'll see you next time on Gator Tales.